Welcome to the God is Not an Asshole podcast. If you are one of the many people done with religious dogmatism, hang on. You might sense transcendence, but your church or other faith community never seem to get off the ground. You realize that honoring your conscience means more than fitting in and keeping hard to explain rules? Hang on. You could probably think of the goodness in your tradition, and you tried your best to save that baby, but there's so much bathwater. Join your host, David Norman Moore Jr. in California and Carrie Connolly in New Jersey, who are collaborating to bring on guests who have found life on the other side of fundamentalism. Guests with stories of how they have liberated themselves from beliefs that divide us from each other. None of our guests' narratives are identical, but we hope you'll find something in common with each of them. We invite you to experience our common bond as we all inspire even more of us to embrace the true self. So, so you, you had that experience with a flashing ball of light and, and it's like the patriarchal power system was knocked down a peg or two. What has happened since? And I probably am jumping ahead a bit in your journey, but what has happened since that allows you to look at those people as human, as, Hmm. yeah, not as just, you know, power brokers and that kind of thing? Yeah, um, that's that's also an evolving (laughs) an evolving journey as well, right? As I go through my own healing and my own, um, yeah, my own healing. I did have a a really interesting experience just a few weeks ago. um, And this may be what you're referring to, um, where I was, I was having a day (laughs) because I'm, I, I've been separated from for about two years now. So I have entered the world of online dating and it's, it's brutal out here, man. (laughs) It is rough. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I had had an experience that was not the first time I had had this experience, and uh, it just put me in a really bad mood. Um, and so I was having this day where I was just like, I was just in a day where I was like, I was just remembering every single person who ever did me wrong, like go, going all the way back to kindergarten. I was just getting all mad all over again about all of these things. And I just remember spirit coming in so strong and just being like, hmm. Like you, they're like, you got a lot of those things that are just like, you're just mad at a whole lot of people. And I was just like, yeah, I'm just, I'm just mad at everybody. And they were like, hmm, you, you would need a big notebook to write. You should start writing down all those people that you're mad at, you know, and within this instant, because very often the way they just give me downloads, it's like, poof, I just have the complete understanding in one big moment of what they were trying to say. And what they were pointing to is that every single hurt that I I'm licking these wounds that I'm licking in my energy are, are dense spots in my energy field, right? The, these are little tiny, um, each tiny little memory is this density, this low vibration that's, that's keeping my energy field from, from moving into creative flow, from receiving, from, from being into that, um, that beautiful energy of receiving everything that life has to offer, um, that, the, that God wants to offer. And that each and every single one of those is a block in, in my ability mm. to, to live into the fullest expression of who I'm supposed to be, my fully ensouled self, right? It's every single one of those is a block. And so Spirit said to me, you need to start writing this down. And so I started this thing called the forgiveness list. And um, 
where I just ever, as a practice, I just sit and write down the names of all of the people that I have something against or that have hurt me or in some way. And then I don't sit there and write what they did. That's not the point. That would be a different kind of list. But what I do write, and this is the book right here that I write it in, but what I do write down is I write down how they made me feel because that's ultimately the feelings are the, the embodied part that the, of, of the, this 3D experience that we're having. And I started to notice a real pattern. I started Mm. to notice that there were patterns in how these people or how I had, I was feeling. And if I look through Mm. these words, I see the same words over and over, betrayed, rejected, terrorized, ridiculed, Mm -hmm. unwanted, 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 worthy, unworthy, unworthy, rejected, rejected, rejected over and over again, abandoned, abandoned, rejected, abandoned, rejected over and over and over again, these same Mm. things. And when you look at them, they are core fears, right? They are core fears that keep us from who we are, which is ultimately love, right? Mm. Then I had another epiphany from spirit that I work with. I'm working. And and what I learned is when I work with my coaching clients and my spiritual mentoring clients, I always learn a lesson like two days before the, the next new client comes and needs the same exact lesson. So I'm always only like one step ahead of, of anybody that I'm coaching, which I think is pretty humorous on spirit's part. But I realized that they were like, Carrie, when are you just going to let life love you? Like just let mm. life love you. And I'm like, you mean life wants to do that? Like life just wants to love me? Like, what does that even mean? And what I realized- now, who, are, the, who yeah. are these people that were proposing this? Spirit, my spirit team, my angels and guides and the okay. way they talk to so, me. So did you have any real-time, real-life people who you could talk about this with, you know, who had some kind of orientation to the world that you, that you were aspiring to? Not really. Not really. Um, so that's the reason I I even asked the question about what has happened to allow you to see these people as human. Because I had a little bit of a different experience because, you know, I was outed denominationally, right? Oh. I mean, I was called into denominational headquarters. Oh, geez. That's the big guns. <laughs> <laughs> but the the thing is, and it was the same issue, which is something that we're going to at some point need to unpack because, you know, we're a new podcast, but we keep talking about our LGBTQ plus friends, you know, nearly every episode. So that's something to, but that's why mm-hmm. I was called in because someone said I was affirming. So I remember when it was, it was 2015 after the Supreme Court granted uh, marriage equality and someone asked me what I thought about it. And I said, I'm celebrating. It's great. And I didn't realize it. He didn't say it at the time, but uh, I got reported. And so, <laughs> and, and so the, the thing is, is that I, in this, I got called into the office and in this meeting, I had so much joy. <laughs> and I love that. <laughs> I was just, I was just effusive in joy with joy and, and and I was being interrogated, really. But <laughs> but I have to say, I, I I was interrogated really with respect. I mean, mm. they loved me, as you mentioned before. 
Mm-hmm. They respected me. I had relationship with them. I I had spoken at their churches and conferences and and things mm-hmm. like that. And also, I think it's maybe a factor that you know we were all in the black church tradition, mm-hmm. and so to me, this is an anomaly. This you know this heteronormativity is an anomaly, you know because. Yes. You know, you know, we're a liberationist movement. That's what that's what yes. we are about. You know, I mean, right, right. We had this struggle with Bayard Rustin and Martin Luther King and all that kind of thing. And but but it seems our expression of church didn't really move on with that. And so, mm-hmm. um, so I had a I had a person, um, and I called her. Her she is Bishop Yvette Flunder. And she was more deeply grounded in the denomination than I was at some point. I mean, her father was, I think, a bishop, her uncle, all of this, you know, just really into it, right? Yeah, yeah. And she leads another movement, another denomination, Mm -hmm. the Fellowship of Affirming Churches. Um, Oh, I love, oh, somebody just told me about that. Yeah. Is that out here in, is that out here? Well, they're all over the country now. Um, they okay. have conventions in different places, but she's based in the Bay Area, you know, in uh, okay. the San, Fr- San Francisco. So, I honestly think somebody that I met on an d- online dating site used to work at one in Brooklyn. Wow. Or Connecticut yeah. or something. <laughs> That's well, so funny. Well, the thing is, is that she, she, her roots are in the same denomination. So I called her a, a number of times. And so we, we had conversations while I was going through this you used the word rejection. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I didn't even feel rejected, even though I was actually being shunned. And, you know, I haven't heard from people in, since 2015, really. Um, no. I got a phone call from, our, you know, from one when my father passed in 2019. Um, but basically, I am not, you know, I am not part of their circles anymore. Mm-hmm. But I don't feel rejected. I, I never have felt Rejected. So uh, I, I attribute it to, to, to having people walk me with compassion saying, eh, you know, they're just being political. They're, you know, it's, uh, yeah. you know, just. And so I can feel the fact that you were kind of alone, <laughs> if I might mm-hmm. say, uh, yes. as you went through this process. And, but here's the thing. And, and I think that that might be by design of my soul contract. And that's actually something that I'm healing working on healing right now, that spirit is doing deep healing in me. Um, this fear of being alone. Um, it it's yeah, spirits working me over on that. But here's one thing that I have found is, um, one of the biggest points of healing that I had in seminary was with one of my favorite professors named Scott, Dr. Scott say, and he said to me one day, cause he sees me, he really sees me for who I am. And he said, Carrie, you're not a pastor, you're a prophet. And that spoke, that, that made me feel so known and so seen for the first time ever. It gave me, it kind of helped me understand who I am in the world. And one of the things that I've noticed is that, so I've always been in this liminal space. So, so the Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis wrote a, an amazing book, and I can never remember the name of it, but in it, she talks about those of us who, who walk liminal spaces, right? We walk these, ba- we're boundary walkers where we kind of have one foot in different, two different groups. And so we can be the the ones that, mm. that 
bring the connection, right? And so I've always been one of those people. So when I was first writing the blog, uh, Jersey Girl Jesus, I was also starting my business and I was in this business networking group. And so I would write these things and I would go to these business networking groups and people would come up to me and they would whisper in my ear. They'd be like, I loved what you wrote the other day. And I'm like, you wrote, you read my religious blog, right? And they were like, oh, you got me through the election. Thank you so much. And I, and they would whisper it to me, you know? And then I would go to, like, oh, I almost said the name of the church I worked for. We're not going to do that. But um, I would go to my church and I would say something and somebody, I would write something, you know, like when I wrote that LGBTQ plus affirming article, I had other people who would come up to me and be like, I really agree. Thank you so much for writing that. But, and they would whisper it. They would, so like, my voice was by me being willing to be visible and to use my voice. I was giving space for other people to hear and explore their own faith and their own journeys. And the same thing happened when I would go to seminary where I thought I could definitely not talk about things like angels. And I would talk about things like angels and somebody would come up and be like, thank you so much. I've had experiences like that too. Right. And so (laughs) it's, it's, it's one of the things that I started to realize is that I, one of the, I think there's a clause in my soul contract (laughs) where I am supposed to be a voice that speaks that stuff that we're afraid to talk about, right? Um, We're afraid to say out loud that pushes societal norms so that uh, other people can lean into their fullest authenticity. Okay, so Carrie, I feel like at this point that there are going to be some people who who listen to this podcast, who are going to want to ask you more, you know, ask you questions that I'm not asking. So what do they do to connect with you? Best thing would be to just go to kerryconnolly.com and and there's a way to connect and, you know, send a free, an email or set up a free info call and ask me whatever. But yeah, Mm -hmm. that's because I think that that, that is my, my core message, I think, is is leaning into the authenticity of who we are and who we're meant to be. I think that's mm. really what I'm kind of about. And I'm still trying to figure it out myself. <laughs> yeah. Yes, we are. Yes. Yes. So did you, you know, your your kids were witnesses to all of this. And, mm. you know, what was their experience of it? And, you know, as you mentioned earlier, you been separated for some time and your spouse uh, had to be a witness of all of this. So Mm. how did that play out? Well, I mean, there there are different layers to that, right? Um, On the one hand, he was one of the scariest people to come out to when it came to my spirituality, that the truth that I like, that I talked to angels and that I, uh, can talk to people, loved ones who have passed on, all of so that. So it sounds like you two met in the church world? No. no? no. Honestly, what we, with the, that's what's really interesting is that we met um, at a time where I was in between that first fundamentalist church and the time that I went to that big non-denominational church. And so he was cool with that because he was not into church at all. So okay. he actually was not very happy when I first started going to my non-denominational church because he, mm. he, he's more, uh, he's very agnostic, um, spiritual, no. but, but not churched. 
And I was very scared to come out to him and to tell him that I was having these experiences um, and had had them all my life. Even though he had witnessed my knowing what he was about to say or already knowing things, like knowing things, but he just kind of, he didn't really pay much attention to it until he started paying attention to it. And he was incredibly supportive. He was much more supportive than I, than I thought um, he would be. And that's my own stuff, not his, right? Okay. When you say scared, what, what is, uh, help us understand that. I was always afraid. I still am afraid that people or that how can I say this? It's all, it's pure ego. I'm afraid people are going to think I'm trying to say I'm special. I'm afraid people are going to think um, I'm a fraud. I'm afraid people are going to, th- I'm afraid of getting stuff wrong for sure. Right. Because I'm, I am not the kind of psychic who can sit there and say, you know, your grandmother hid $30,000, you know, under like, that's not, I'm not what's called an evidentiary psychic, right? That's not the kind of work that I do. The kind of work that I do is much more healing in nature. So when somebody works with me, like for example, in an angel Reiki session, when somebody comes to me, I connect with both their their body's subtle body, their subtle body energetic field, and I connect with their spirit team. Their spirit team will come in and they'll start talking. And sometimes it'll be people who have passed over. Um, sometimes it's unborn children. Sometimes it's um, spirit guides and angels, all of the above. And they bring through information that's more about their spiritual and emotional healing than their physical healing or mm-hmm. where where their lost wallet is right and usually most times it's pretty it's pretty transformative um and it's also a lot of responsibility you know a lot of uh, uh, so i'm i'm always afraid that people are going to think you're just making that up you're just making that up and mm. that's a really scary thing, and not only okay, that. Okay, so but- so uh, it, being being afraid, what would be a consequence of you know? I mean, we're all, when 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 there's fear, that means that there there's a possible outcome. What would be the 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 outcome? Hmm. Uh, rejection, abandonment, uh, being terrorized being demonized. Um, and this all goes back to in a lot of ways, and now I'll get even more into the academia and sociological aspects of it, but the, what it means to be a woman, uh, what it means to be a woman stepping into our power, why we're seeing a rise of the witch right now, right? Like, so if you walk into Barnes and Noble, the Christian living section is this tiny little section all the way back in the corner, but right smack in front. When you walk into Barnes and Noble, you're going to be able to find things like Oracle cards and books about witchcraft and spell casting and all of that kind of stuff. All of which is not anywhere near as demonic as people would like it us to all think, right? But it's this, I believe, a an energy that I have carried forth from previous lifetimes of fear, real fear of being being burned at the stake, being cast cast out of the family of the of the tribe, of being abandoned, rejected, and humiliated. Does that make sense? Yes. Wow. So. Um... There in your community, you know, it's 
you know, there in, in Orange, in New Jersey, do you not feel like support, like in your, you know, involvements with people? I feel deep support with my beloveds, right? So there are people who I know and who who love me unconditionally. There are, I have some, a few friends here. Um, most of my friends are all over the country and they all know and love me. And most of them have had some sort of experience where spirit has shown up for them. And so they they are believers, right? And they mm. understand the the experience. And it's harder to be authentic and to do the work that I do with people that I know than it is to do it with a stranger. Because I, when I know, when I know a lot about a person, I am always concerned that I'm just bringing through my own desire, my mm -hmm. own will yeah. and my own opinion. Right. So I have so, to do a lot more work. I'm, I'm just wondering, okay. So for, for me here, I, I have good friendships with people in different parts of the activism community. Sure. You know, um, I, one of my dear friends is the leading voice for disability rights. And just a month ago, I, I officiated his wedding. Uh, he has cerebral palsy and his bride is blind. And uh, we had the most amazing ceremony in our backyard with people coming in on wheelchairs and all kinds of things. It was just, wow. it was amazing. That's awesome. And, yeah. And, and I have, you know, I'm on the board for the Central Coast Planned Parenthood, Planned Parenthood Action Fund. Just different ways that I, I am buoyed by people in the community who may or may not be people of any professed faith. But I really feel like they sustain me, that they nourish me. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering what like that are you experiencing? My, my seminary friends, my seminary friends, um, mm. and I will, I will name we them. Journey together. Yes, we journey together. And Cassidy Mason, Shaleen, uh, these are people who um, Ben, who I unfortunately haven't talked to in a while, but these are people who Ben was there for an experience with angels, TJ, yeah. um, you know, if, in fact, if you Google, uh, if you Google my name and the words, the phrase confessing angels, you'll find a, a blog post that I wrote about another pivotal moment when, yeah. uh, from seminary, when I was in a bar with TJ and Ben, I think they called them something different in the, in the blog post, but, um, and they, we, we, we were surrounded by angels, you know, yeah. and I was, swore I wasn't going to say anything, but, but I went to the bathroom and I came back and Ben was like, okay, what's going on? Cause I feel like I left <laughs> space time continuum. What is happening right now? And I'm yeah. like, oh, okay. So you, you can feel this too. Right. And so, yes, I, I do have amazing people. And then I have people here, uh, Ian, Aisha and Nicole, who are my friends here, who support my weirdness. And, and most of all, they laugh at me. And I think mm. that's the key for me is, is they laugh at me when, so when, when I have people who can laugh at me and help me laugh at myself, that's really mm. how I know that, that I can trust them, that I can trust them. And, um, this is yeah, so, this is, this is the, the, the food, uh, that we need, that our souls need. And as you know, I've been a pastor for, you know, all of these years for decades now. And, um, which is why I got, you know, outed, really. I mm -hmm. mean, if I were a lay person, nobody would care. But 
Um, right. But this is why I got outed. And yet that experience, along with my community involvements, has allowed me to reboot even our church communities. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and you've met them. All right, we've got mm-hmm. the most amazing church. <laughs> we've got, yes. You know, yes. it's it's people like we're, we're talking about. Um, yes. And they are not the people, for the most part, that we started out with, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but this is really intentional in different ways, not because, you know, I don't even know how I would describe it, because we were, you know, we were always Jesus people. But this is another level of consciousness of inclusion. That's what it is. It's about inclusion. We are we we are acknowledging the Jesus who is inclusive. Yes, yes, and that's when you say it's another level of consciousness. I think that's very literal. I I, I really do, and I I do believe that that God is doing something really amazing on this earth right now, and that. There is a a rise in our consciousness that we are being brought to a new level of understanding where, you know, this idea of um, non-binary gender, you know, a non-binary gender identity is so representative of where we are going as a species, as a, as humanity, right. Where I can begin to, and I, I, I'll be honest, like I sometimes resist this in myself, but when I can start stripping away the, the conditioning that society has placed upon me, the requirements as a white woman that Mm. society has placed upon me, that comes with its privileges and its responsibilities. You know, there's a, um, an amazing TikTok. TikTok gives me life, just FYI. But <laughs> there's an amazing TikTok that I saw the, that I, I have saved that talks about the ways in which uh, white, skinny, thin white women are used to legitimate dysfunctional power structures in cults, organizations, governments. There's always a, a thin white woman somewhere next to the leader uh, to legitimate mm. the sins of that leader, right? So, so all of the ways and the conditioning that makes me so easily, so so willing to fall victim to that, right? To to be willing to participate wow. uh, in those power wow. dynamics. So that's why they're called trophies. Yes, yes, exactly. Oh my goodness! Right, oh my goodness. Yeah. and so really paying attention to stripping away that conditioning, and that means. All of that conditioning that says you should be quiet. And let me tell you, in my justice work, the number one people who tell the the, the people who tell me to sit down and shut up the most are progressive white ladies. And let me just progressive say white ladies. To, to, to you who are thin white women, we love you. We need you. Yes. You're an important 100%. part of our life. But we just have to, to mention this. You know, uh, this past Easter Sunday, the highlight, I would say, of our church service is we had a uh, uh, Vivian Storm, who um, is a transgender African-American woman who uh, leads drag shows in town. And that's kind Love of it. maybe what she's known for. Uh, mm-hmm. The most loving soul emanated all of this light when she came up to to speak and to sing. It just 
radiated, right? And there's something about that. I mean, I, when I talk about Vivian, I actually feel her presence and, uh, you know, because it's so real. But then again, yes. you think about it, you know, who are some of the most endangered people? It's Vivian's profile, in, you know, in our society, as yep. opposed to the thin white woman who is protected, yep. right? Always guarded. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. Guarded and kept small and kept silent and kept quiet, right? And so this is one of the things that we have to balance, right? We have to recognize the privilege that we are afforded. And we also have to recognize the ways that that's kept us from our from living into our fullest power, our fullest authenticity, and the harm that that does to us and by proxy to the world, right? Because the less the, the, the less we use our voice, the less we speak into our authentic, authentic power, the more that we allow the sins of these dysfunctional leaders to be perpetuated. The more I lean into the fullness of my authenticity and use my voice and refuse to sit down and shut up when the, when the white progressive ladies tell me I, I don't deserve to be speaking about anything related, related to justice— the, the more that I'm willing to rock that boat and to say, no, I am going to talk about this because this is not just about healing the world. It's also about my own healing. It's about my own stepping into my own voice, my own healing, my own uh, reparations, my own everything, right? The more I do that, the more I lead a path, I, I forge a path for other white women and white men to lead, to, to, to take, to go into their own healing and the more opportunity we have for the whole world to heal, right? So our healing might be different, but it's just as important. It's just as important that we're doing that work. And, and it's our responsibility to do the work. Um, this this uh, past Thursday night, I was at the uh, local celebration of the 88th birthday of His Holiness, the Dalai Lama's birthday mm-hmm. um, um, party. And... Um, it's a it's a pretty big deal in our community. I mean, the mayor was there and the county supervisor and the city council person and, and several others. And um when I went up to the platform to 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 greet everybody, I just said, you know, one of the reasons that we relate to the Dalai Lama's story is because of exile. They he had to leave his home. He had to leave his people relationships, uh, comfort, esteem, all of these things, and start a new journey. And I say that everybody in this room, this is why we are here. This is why we feel comfortable coming to an event like that. And it is because all of us, in some way or another, are exiles. And we're looking mm-hmm. for people that who can speak our language uh, mm-hmm. without questioning us and talking us down and trying to convert us from where we are, we're, because you know what? In a way, we're strong, but in another way, we're fragile. And, and mm-hmm. we're, we're fragile because we just don't need someone, you know, t- someone not believing us, not not believing our words, not believe. And this is kind of what you were talking about, you know, being afraid. You just don't need people not believing you anymore. Yes, it is. It is so exhausting. It is so exhausting. And, um, you know, there have been, again, I don't mean to keep going back to the online dating, but it seems like it's this microcosm for all of my, my life experience, right? It's, it's in this hyper intensified capsule, right? Because 
every every conversation at some point. And I put it right on my profile, but I guess a lot of people don't read it. But inevitably, I end up having a conversation where I have to... Um, usually, it's because they want my phone number right away. And I'm like, I'm, I'm not going to give you my phone number right away because I've had really bad experiences with that. And then I have to go into the, well, not all men. And then I have to get into, well when you say not all men, it's almost like saying not all white people. Well, what do you mean? And then I end up having to have that conversation. And, and it's an exhausting, it's exhausting to have to affirm my own right to safety and beingness over and over and over again. And it wouldn't be a sign that this is not it. Right. Exactly. (laughs) And, and, and also to be like, to, to have to say, constantly like I be told, well, you should be less harsh. And I'm like, dude, I'm I'm really literally just speaking like this. Mm -hmm. I'm not being Mm -hmm. harsh. How about you be more resilient? Right. And it's my, my own beingness is such an affront at times. Right. And so it, it can be, it can be really exhausting to step into authenticity that way, but I've been, you're you're describing the people who have responded some of the, some of the guys who have responded to my, my social media posts. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. like, well, I wasn't attacking you. you Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And, and here's the thing, the reason that it's exhausting isn't even so much their, it is exhausting, their frailty. It's partially their frailty, but it's also the conditioning that I have to fight against in myself that it's already Mm. like I'm coming from this deficit of, of confidence, right? Because I have been told on my life as a white woman, you're supposed to just sit down, shut up, look pretty and affirm everybody, make sure everybody else is comfortable. That's your job. Don't rock any boat. And so for- Don't be uppity. Don't exactly, exactly. Same, same story, same instruction, different package, right? And, but it's don't rock the boat. And so to garner the strength and the inner resilience that I need to rock the boat, just so that I can affirm my own beingness is our, I'm already exhausted by the time I get here. (laughs) And now I have to keep going. (laughs) Right. And I have to keep going against progressive white ladies who tell me to shut up and sit down. And I have to. Why would they do that? What would be their rationale? Their rationale is that they have been told. Honestly, their rationale is that they have been they have listened to some black leaders who say that white people should not have a platform speaking about anti-racism. And Ooh. so they they come back to me and they say you shouldn't should not be doing this. You know, this reminds me of uh, just yesterday. A friend sent me a video that kind of articulated their feelings. There, the this couple is Japanese, and and I'm I don't mean Japanese American, but they're immigrants, and they've been dear friends of Diane and me for decades. I did their wedding thirty years ago. And we just remained close. And they sent the video of uh, somebody, some TikToker who was, he was African-American, but he was featuring a conversation by this Japanese person who was saying that they feel anti-Asian hate from the Black community. 
And, you know, there are black people who would say, well, you know, you can't be a racist or whatever if, you know, if you're not white, that kind of thing. But when you when you buy into this capitalistic white supremacist Mm -hmm. system, you don't have to be white, Mm -hmm. you know. And so they they wanted me to better understand some of the feelings that they have Mm. with not with. Diane and me, or within our sure. our community, but you know, from the black world, mm-hmm. uh, there's sometimes among activists this sense of entitlement mm-hmm. that you know we're the only ones, and even to the point, and you've heard me say this be, be, before, even to the point of dismissing the, the story of indigenous people. Mm-hmm. You know, the genocide of yeah. indigenous people. We, we cannot have this conversation about justice mm-hmm. unless we're including them. And so. Absolutely. You know, it's I think that one of the there, there's there's so much that could be said around that. And I've the first thing it, like w- when I have these these white ladies who say this to me. Interestingly, what's interesting is that, you know, for example, there was one TikTok video that I did. And I had a number of of black people come in and comment and say, "Yeah, yes, this I, I appreciate you for saying this. Thank you, thank you, thank you." The only people who were telling me to be quiet were the white women. <laughs> and why do you think that is? Again, because I think that there 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 is a sense of righteousness that they feel because they have been uh, listening hard, well, listening well to some black leaders who say white, white people shouldn't have a platform doing this. Right. I listened to those leaders as well. And that's what I think that these, these white women didn't really understand. Like mm. I listened to those women or I listened to those leaders and I, like I, Reverend Jackie Lewis that you mentioned before. Yes. Yes. And although I don't think she's one who says that white people shouldn't have a platform, she's not, oh, I don't know. No, I've no. never she, heard her say that. Her congregation is largely white. So yeah. yes, yes, exactly. Exactly. But, um, you know, there are, there are many black leaders or not many, but there are, there are many black, I'll say many, there are many black leaders who don't think white people should have this platform. And then there are many black leaders who Say yes, we need white people that to be doing this work, right? Yeah. I I listen to them all every single day. I do this work. I question whether is is my voice needed in this particular in this particular space? Do I really need to be doing this? Like, is this really how should I be showing up in this space? I'm always trying to do that well. I don't necessarily always do it well. I try to realize when I have made a mistake, and also what I have come to realize is that this is truly about white healing right? As annoying as I find this, and I do find this highly annoying, the more I do this work, the more I delve into the work of justice, the more I start to uh, try to understand systems of dominance, which I think is what is going to be my doctorate work is, is going to be about systems of dominance. The more compassion I have for straight white men, because I literally say that they are outside the circle of empathy. I don't mean that say that men, white, straight white men are not empathic or that they can, can't experience empathy, but rather that because I don't know what it what it's like to be black, I don't know what it's like to to walk around in a black body, but I do know what a microaggression feels like. Mm-hmm. I do know what it feels like to um, to be stuck in an Uber with a driver who's telling me that he doesn't believe women should preach. I do know what it's like to stand in a convenience store and have two men openly discuss whether or not they should rape me and have the convenience store clerk do absolutely nothing. I do know what it's like to walk around 
in an endangered body, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I know what that's like. Straight white men don't have any experiences like that. So it's a larger leap of imagination for them to, mm. to jump into that circle of empathy, right? And also, they are deeply emotional beings who have been conditioned to not be allowed to feel their emotions. They, the only emotion that they are allowed, as Bell Hooks brilliantly says, the only emotion that they are allowed to, to experience is anger, or that they mm-hmm. are allowed to express is anger. They have become so <clears throat> dissociated from the vast realm of the human experience because of their conditioning as, as straight white men that I have, I feel such great compassion for them now, which is annoying because it would be so much easier to just be mad at them all the time. (laughs) But, but it's. See, see, you just went to what I asked you before. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Finally, finally got there. (laughs) But that's what this justice work will do to you if you stick with it. Right. Yes. Well, Carrie may the force be with you, except <laughs> not so forceful. May the, mm. may the voice be with you. Uh, mm. And may you increasingly grow in your response to the empathy around you, the love, the people, your angels, the people who are dear, but the people who think of you as dear, as irreplaceable and unnecessary in their in their world, whether they often articulate it or not. Um, may you just enjoy uh, the waves of, of compassion that they provide you as you surf through life, um, even if you're just visiting the beach. I love that. Thank you for that benediction. I, it reminds me of this one last thing that I will say before we, we end, which um, I have heard in uh, process theology that God offers us a holy lore, right? That in any time, at any time, we're offered the next best option, right? And in metaphysical, the metaphysical world, there's a book called "Ask and It Shall Be." Ask and you shall receive, or ask and it will be given. And they talk about um, it's a Abraham Hicks, and they talk about Abraham as a being that is channeled. They talk about the fact that there is always a stream of well-being that is being offered to us, a stream of well-being. And if we are not experiencing well-being at any given time, it is only because we are resisting it, which brings me back again to what I said earlier about let life love you. When my guide mm. said, Carrie, would you just let life love you? So I receive that benediction. I open to that benediction and I receive it. I'm going to let love life, let life love me through that benediction. And I'm going to... I'm going to stand in the stream of well-being. So thank you so much. Right. And I offer the same to you. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much for being here today. We are people who have left behind performance-based religion and the shame that comes with it. Maybe you have a personal liberation story to tell and we want to know about it. Please contact us on Twitter at GodIsNotAnAsshole or text 805-703-8393 because the world needs to know that God is not an asshole.